Welcome to Didache. Good to see everybody back. You must all be well and healthy. That's good. Now, normally in the Bible, the sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. So I don't know. There's a lot more on my left. <laughs> all right. We are in Lesson 13 uh, tonight, which is page 167. However, I would like to begin uh, by having you turn in your uh, Lutheran catechesis to page 32, so that we have a little bit of a review as we go into the Lord's Prayer tonight. And um, we welcome... Pat and Sharon uh, with us tonight and on into the future. We have been studying the Ten Commandments and then the Creed, and now we're moving into the Lord's Prayer. Remember what the Catechism is. The Catechism of the Church Catholic with a small c, Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer, those first three parts, all Christians are taught those things. And then the texts on baptism, confession and absolution, and finally the Lord's Supper. So we've been in the Ten Commandments and the Creed. We're moving into the Lord's Prayer. We're right at the halfway point of our didache. So let us begin with prayer and then Take up page 32. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Lord, let your merciful ears be attentive to the prayers of your servants. And by your word and spirit, teach us how to pray, that our petitions may be pleasing before you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I'd like to take us through this as a bit of a litany. So you see page 32 and then uh, 33. I'll read the titles and the description under each, and then I want you to recite the commandments, the creed, the Lord's Prayer, and so forth. The Ten Commandments preach repentance, which means... The Ten Commandments show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. Together, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Can we pause here? 
The Ten Commandments preach repentance. It says here, they show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. It's true, the Ten Commandments show us what is good. You know, it's good, it's good not to murder. You shall not murder. It's good to honor your father and your mother. But, to the extent that we have bitterness, resentment, or hatred in our heart, that is a form of murder. And, of course, every one of us in this room never sassed once to our mom and dad. It's good to honor our father and our mother, but we have often disobeyed them or stuck our tongue out at them, if not face-to-face, behind their backs. Okay? So when we say the commandments show us our sin, is there anyone here who is without sin? No, and the Ten Commandments show us our sin, God's law. And therefore, they show us how much we need our Savior. So remember, in our, I'm, I'm, this is all kind of review since we're at this midway point, but we can learn morality from the Ten Commandments. We can learn ethics from the Ten Commandments. We can learn what good is from the Ten Commandments. We can learn what's evil, what evil is. But because we are all sinful, the Ten Commandments, as law, are always going to show us our sin, if we're honest. First commandment, you shall have no other gods. God says, trust me, we don't always trust him. Second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We should pray to him at all times and in every circumstance, but we don't. Remember the Sabbath day. We should be faithful in hearing God's word and rejoice and delight in it, but we often have better things to do and often we couldn't care less. So you see, the commandments are showing us our sin. And then in the second table of the law, you know, honor your father and your mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. We learn that sin is not just the outward actions, but the thoughts of the heart. So remember, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say, whoever is angry is in danger of the judgment. Or, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. So you see, with that standard, who among us is without sin? No one. So while we can teach morality and ethics from the commandments, The spiritual use of the commandments is to preach repentance, to show us our sin and how much we need the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for us upon the cross, okay? Repentance is where, it's a fancy word, it's one of the words that describes what faith is. And here it is. To be turned away from relying on myself trusting in myself to reliance upon the Lord Jesus. I want you to think about repentance in those terms. The commandments preach repentance. They teach us not to rely upon ourselves, but how much we need a Savior and to rely upon Christ. So to be a Christian is to believe in Jesus who suffered and died upon the cross for our sins. And forgiveness and salvation is a free gift of God's grace to be received by faith alone. Now that leads us into the Apostles' Creed then. The Apostles' Creed preaches the faith that saves us from our sin. 
The creed shows us that God loves us and has done everything to save us from sin through Jesus Christ our Lord. Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostles' Creed preaches the faith that saves us from our sin. The faith that saves us from our sin. When you come to the divine service, you might sometimes hear me say, let us confess the faith with the words of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. When I say that, let us confess the faith, I'm talking about what we believe and teach and confess as Christians according to the scriptures. The emphasis is on God the Father Almighty, His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, the Holy Spirit, what He has done. The emphasis is not on I believe, my believing, but on the object of faith. Okay? So let us confess the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so forth. So we're emphasizing the object of faith. So that's what this, this title means. The Apostles' Creed preaches the faith. It's like it preaches the message. It preaches the good news that saves us from our sin. It preaches what we believe in that is our salvation. We believe in God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. And at the center of the creed is the person and work of Christ, His death and resurrection. So, commandments show us our sin, how much we need a Savior, the creed preaches that Savior. Okay. Now, I'll ask a question. Anybody in the room can shout it out. What is God's nature that makes him tick, you know, that makes him do what he does? What's his nature? Love. Love. Self-giving, sacrificial love. God created the world because he loved He created you because he loved. He wants to share his love and his life with us. Why did the two of you have children? Love. Love, right? Yeah, okay. Because you loved each other, and then you wanted to share your love not only with each other, but the fruit of that love is children. You still love your boys? Okay, all right. And they, of course, have never done anything wrong, have they? No. Never. Perfect. In their entire... Perfect, perfect kids. Perfect. Yeah. Well, their failings and shortcomings and stumblings, has that altered the fact that you love them? Not at all. Same way with God's love. 
That doesn't mean he approves of sin any more than Pat and Sharon approved of the sins of their boys, not by any means. But if we, as sinful human beings, which we are, know what it is to love unconditionally, how much more God? So when we speak of God's nature as love, self-giving, sacrificial love, it is the unmerited love, it's the undeserved love, it's the unconditional love, and the closest thing we can get to it is a love that a husband and wife have for each other and father and mother have for their children. But we're loving as sinners. God loves in a pure way. His nature is self-giving, sacrificial love. He creates in love, and then when we, like children, turned away from him and rebelled, did he stop loving us? Not at all. In fact, we see his love the greatest in the gift of his only begotten son. We just celebrated his conception and birth. Now we're moving to celebrate his crucifixion and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and we look forward for, to his coming again in glory. That was the creed, wasn't it? We looked at God the Father as creator and God the Son as redeemer under four themes. He was incarnate, made flesh in the womb of Mary. He suffered bodily upon the cross for our salvation. Three, he rose from the dead the third day and ascended into heaven. And fourth, we look forward to his coming again in glory. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of this love from the Father and the Son who draws us to faith in Christ and then bestows the gifts of forgiveness to us through word and sacrament. Before leaving this, remember how we talked about being made in the image of God. And it's difficult at times for us to understand there's one God, but he's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we make sense out of this? And what I try to emphasize with you, and I remind you of it again, is that <clears throat> to be made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love means that we were created to be like God is, one and yet a community of persons, loving persons. We were created to be like God is, one, yet a community of loving persons. So you got the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds in love from the Father and the Son. There's a community of love among the persons of the Trinity. We're made in God's image and likeness, and that takes its shape in marriage and family. So here again, to use Pat and Sharon, you've got a husband and a wife, two persons, yet they come together as one flesh, and out of that one flesh union, the fruit of that love was the children. See, a kind of Trinitarian shape. So when we, when we understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, and yet one God, this great mystery of the Trinity, and God's nature is self-giving, sacrificial love, that plays out, as we're made in his image and likeness, in humanity, particularly marriage and family. It's one of the reasons why the historic Catholic Church, of which we're a part, 
rejects such notions as same-sex unions, lesbianism, and so forth, and homosexuality, because they can produce no life. To be made in the image of and likeness of God is to be made like God is, a community of loving persons, and then to do like God does. And I'll ask you that question then. Do you remember what were the things that God commanded? He made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And what did he say, those two things? Be fruitful and multiply. Was God fruitful in the creation of all things? Yes, super abundantly. And then what was the second thing? Have dominion, right. And so God exercised his dominion at creation, and then that dominion is also shared with us. He was fruitful, and we share in that fruitfulness. That's why having children is called procreation, because we are with God in this creative work. What a great privilege it is for us to share in that. And remember Adam named all of the critters, you know? That was the exercising of dominion, okay? This flies in the face of contemporary society and culture that doesn't believe that. But man is the crown of God's creation, and we're made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. We're created to be a community of loving persons, which particularly is seen in marriage and family. Okay? And as there is love in the relationship of the persons of the Trinity, we are to draw from the love of God in our relationships of love within marriage and family in particular. Okay? All right. So love is God's nature, and the highest expression of that love is the Father giving his Son to redeem us from our sins. And the Son, in love for the Father and for us, willingly dying upon the cross. And then we talked in the last three lessons prior to tonight about how the Holy Spirit works through preaching and teaching and baptism and the Lord's Supper and absolution to call us to trust in Christ and then through these gifts to bestow the love of God on us through Christ's forgiveness. So what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit in love proclaims to us, okay? Now this is all, all we've done is just review didache up to the point, haven't we? And <clears throat> now we move into the Lord's Prayer. And go to the top of the page. This is the last thing I'll ask us to recite for today. Uh, the Lord's Prayer preaches the holy life. The Lord's Prayer shows us that our lives are made holy by God's word that is received and believed. We cry out to him because we believe in what he has promised us. The Lord's Prayer directs us sinners where to find our help. This is the holy life of faith in Jesus Christ. So you're hearing God's word being taught to you. And there's one chief and overarching goal in the whole didache, that through God's word, your faith in Christ is strengthened. Okay? So that you don't rely upon yourselves. 
You're sinners. You can't save yourself. You can't. You need Christ. He's your Savior. So the purpose of all this teaching and all this didache, which means is the Greek word for teaching, is that you trust in Christ, Amy, that you rely upon him. He's my Savior. I'm not. Okay? And the Lord's Prayer is the holy life of faith that claims what Christ has done for us. Okay? The Lord's Prayer, prayer in general, it moves us out of ourselves to claim Christ, his promises. Okay? So we confess our sins. We pray for his forgiveness. We ask for his help and blessing. Why? Because we trust in him. Why do we trust in him? Because God the Father gave us his son to die for our sins. We're baptized into Christ. We believe in him. And so, like children, call upon their dear father. So we call upon our dear father. Okay? Same kind of relationship. So going back to, to the husband and wife relationship of love, they have children, but they still love their children unconditionally in spite of their failings. And what do you want your kids to do? To trust you. Okay? And your love for your children and the things that you've done for your children cause them to believe in you, so to speak, to trust in you. And out of their trust in you, do they ever ask you for things? Okay, you know, why? Do they ever go to you in a time of need? Do they ever share burdens with you? Yeah, that's what prayer is too. And notice how it's, it's built upon, it rests upon the foundation of trust. Okay, so we believe in Christ. We trust in God the Father's gift of his son to us, and that's why we pray. Prayer is the voice of faith that claims the promises of God. Just like when our children ask us for something, they have learned to trust us. And they love us because our actions and words to them have generated that trust and love in their hearts. Right? If we never talked to our kids, we never paid any attention to them, we turned our back on them, we ignored them for the entire life, would they ever trust us? Would they ever love us? Not at all. So you see how, as parents, our actions and our words of love toward our children is what generates love in their hearts and trust of us. Same with God. So in the gospel, in the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, we're hearing the message of that self-giving sacrificial love. So it's God's works of love and his words of love that create trust in our heart. Okay? That's why I like to always connect you know, the Christian faith and life with our own life as married people and parents with children because it's not just an analogy. It is actually how it works because we're made in the image and likeness of God in spite of the sinfulness of us all. So we can understand a lot about the gospel and about how God works when we see it reflected in the love of marriage and family and how those words and actions of love toward our children create faith. And so prayer here, the voice of faith. So that's what the holy life is about, you know. I think uh, those of you who have had children would think, 
if my kids grow up receiving what I taught them and are men and women of faith and love that honor their parents and that continue to rely upon us as parents, you'd think, I made it. That's good, okay? And, and so what, that's what we mean by the holy life. Prayer, the Lord's Prayer preaches the holy life. And our lives are made holy by God's word that is received and believed, just as what you have said and done with your children created faith in their hearts toward you and love toward you. Okay. Uh, let us uh, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, we are going to go directly to Lesson 13 after this review of Didache and introduction. We are on page 166 and 167, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 11. Luke 11, 13 verses. Can we do that in the next 35 minutes or so? 13 verses. Can we do that, Kevin? Can we make it? Do you think? 13 verses, we can try there are two places in the Gospels where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. One of them is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. The other one is here, Luke 11. So if you just scan Luke 11, I'm waiting for you. Remember, Sharon, I told you that was your job. Luke 11, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 10. The pages are thin, you know, that's just the thing. But you turn one too far because, yeah, the pages are thin. So Luke 11, there you go. And if you scan down the page, you see the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and the Bibles that we have in the, in the rack are the red letter edition where the words of Jesus are in red and the other narrative portions are in black. But if you scan down there, you see how verses 2 through 4 have the Lord's Prayer in it. Um, it's according to this translation. We um, learn by heart the old King James, actually, um, uh, translation. But you can see the Lord's Prayer, verses 1 through 4. Then verses 5 through 8, <clears throat> Jesus tells a story in which he catechizes or teaches us about prayer. And then in verses 9 through 13, he elaborates on that story that he just told. The story is called The Friend at Midnight. And we will get to that in a moment, but you, I want you to just see the, the, 
the outline. You've got the words of the Lord's Prayer given first. Then he tells the parable or story of the friend at midnight. And then after that, he elaborates on what the meaning of the friend at midnight. Okay? So let's go to chapter 11, verse 1 first. It came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased, stop praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So when you look at that verse closely, was Jesus, the disciples were observing him praying. So was he praying in a, in a corporate setting, like a church service, or was he praying as an individual? As an individual. They observed that he prayed. He did this all the time. He went off by himself to pray, got up early in the morning and prayed. Stayed up late at night and prayed. So there is such a thing as corporate prayer. We do it all the time in the divine service, right? Where I lead the congregation in the corporate prayers. But there's also individual prayer. Okay? <clears throat> so his regular life of prayer inspired the disciples to ask him, teach us to pray. And then they mentioned John the Baptist. He taught his disciples to pray. That's what a disciple is, a follower. Okay? You follow the teacher. All right. Now notice what Jesus says. Verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so forth. But I want you to focus on the beginning of verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say. He gave them words to pray. Let me say it a different way. Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord said, oh, I couldn't do that. Prayer is whatever you think it is. It's got to be your own words. Make it up. Gas off to God. He doesn't say that. They ask a specific, teach us to pray. Okay, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And so he gave them the actual words to say. Question. Whose words are they? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Whose words are they? Joe Biden's? No. God's words. Yeah. Now, it's so obvious we miss it. The Lord's Prayer is first God's word before it is our word. Now, if you think about it, the same thing was true of your children. How many of you gave birth to your firstborn child and the child popped out of the room and started to, you know, speak the Gettysburg Address or the Declaration of Independence or whatever? Did any of your children ever do that the day they were born? No, they drooled at you and screamed and hollered or whatever. Did they know the language? Did they know the language yet? No, they didn't. Therefore, since they didn't know the language, none of you talked to your babies. Right? Well, but they don't understand the words. They don't understand the language. So why would you talk to them? 
You've got to wait for them to know the language and know the words. Then you can talk to them. Now, that's absurd, isn't it? By the way, there's some in modern educational theory that say you cannot ever use words with children that they don't understand. Well, if you adopt that philosophy, you would never, ever speak to them. There's a miracle that takes place in the development of human language. We talk to our babies, and 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 we talk to our babies, and, to our babies, and then all of a sudden, bleh, our words start to come out of their mouth. That's the way it works. So also with faith and the voice of faith, which is prayer. The foundation for prayer is God's word. Just like, just like your kids, I mean, I'm sometimes embarrassing, right? When our kids start to say our words, we recognize our words, our phrases, our expressions, our manner of speaking. You ever notice that? Franklin descendants? Uh, maybe a little bit. I see it all the time if you have eyes to see. Sometimes when you're in family, you miss it. But those on the outside observe it and they see it. Okay, so the word of God is the foundation for prayer. And when Jesus gives them the words to pray, he's giving them God's word. That's the foundation for prayer. Every word of the Lord's prayer is first God's word. Then it becomes our word word in prayer to God. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time today pulling apart each petition of the Lord's Prayer. We will do that next session and the session after that. Okay, But prayer is not only founded upon the foundation of God's word, but it is the voice of faith that claims those promises. So, when you say things to your kids and they learn to trust you, then they come to you and they ask you on the basis of what you have said to them. That's what prayer is like. Okay? So the promises of God's word are what motivate us to pray. He promises forgiveness in Christ, like we say in the divine service, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins. And so we pray, Lord, forgive me, and we confess our sins. You see how the foundation for that prayer is God's word. Every petition of the Lord's prayer is first God's word and a promise of God to us. And as God's word, the Lord's prayer is telling us what God's will is. He is our true father, our father, who art in heaven. We are therefore his true children. That's a baptismal theme. And then he wants his name hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. He wants his kingdom to come, the gift of faith in the heart. He wants his will to be done. Jesus developed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. That's characteristic of prayer. He wants to give us, day by day, our daily bread. He doesn't want to starve us. He wants to provide for all that we need in this body and life. So he says, ask me. He wants to forgive our trespasses so that we also forgive those who trespass against us. That's his will. 
He doesn't lead us into temptation. He leads us out of temptation. He delivers us from the evil one. That's his will. Notice how I went through all the Lord's Prayer there. So you can take every, you can just pray one petition of the Lord's Prayer. Oh Lord, lead me out of temptation. They can be short, brief, and fervent. Okay? Oh Lord, deliver me from the evil one. He is really on my back. He's accusing me of sin. He's assaulting me. Deliver me from the evil one. Oh Lord, you are my God and Savior. The prayer doesn't have to be real fancy. But every one of those petitions is first God's word to us and a promise. Okay? So let me, let's summarize. The word of God is the foundation for prayer. Prayer is the voice of faith that claims God's word, his promises. Now, our access to God is only through Christ. We don't gain access to God through St. Mary, St. Jude, St. James, or any of those people. They're sinners just as we are. Well, now they're with the Lord, but our access to God is through Christ okay? and what he has done for us. Our baptism into Christ and our faith in him that makes us children of God gives us the right and the access to call upon God at every trouble, to every time of need. I often use this analogy. <clears throat> um, Caleb here, I know Caleb, but he's not my son. He's the son of Jody and, and Becca. Um, does he have authorization to just come over to my house sometime, uh, go walk in the back door and open the refrigerator and help himself to whatever is in there? Does he have, does he have authorization to do that? No, not really, because he's not my son. Now, should I be surprised if I find my son John at home coming in the back door and helping himself to what's in the refrigerator, even though he's married and has his own refrigerator? No, he's my son. There's a relationship there, okay? The access to our household, you know, is based on a certain, a certain right that you have as children, okay? And so our baptism into Christ and our faith in him makes us the children of God. So therefore, we have access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, access to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, just like... Um, our children can boldly come right up to us and hug us or whatever. The great, uh, another example that I use of this, many of you, especially Pat, you're old enough to know this. John F. Kennedy. Do you remember those pictures of little John and, and uh, Caroline? In the Oval Office? So you got the President of the United States and you got these rugrat children crawling around his legs and in and out the trap door of the desk in the Oval Office. Now, uh, what was the name of that uh, woman who was the uh, White House correspondent for, I think, United Press International, so for years, what was her name? She, through umpty nine presidents. Well, if you, if, does anybody know that name? What was, oh. No, 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 no. Do you know who I'm talking about, Marta? Well, none of those people from the press corps, let's put it that, could have barged into the Oval Office and crawled around on the floor and uh, in between the president's legs. Are you kidding me? But his children could do that. 
That's what I mean by access, see? And this is what we have in Christ. We are forgiven our sins as a gift of God's grace. We're made the children of God in our baptism. It means we have access to God. And that's, that's how Luther describes the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. With these words, our Father, God is tenderly inviting us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children. For what purpose? So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him, as dear children ask their dear Father. Okay? So this is what prayer is. Claiming the promises of God, trusting in our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism gives us access to God because we're made children of God. That relationship is founded upon Christ. It's through the blood of Christ and the gift of salvation that we can approach God with boldness and confidence. Okay? Again, this is the holy life. All right. So as I said, we will talk about each petition of the Lord's Prayer in greater detail. But now let's go on to the story, the friend, verses 5 through 8. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the Didache because it's fun to uh, kind of dramatize the story. Okay? So I'll read the story first. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. All right, let's pause there. Make sure we understand the lay of the land. In the story that Jesus tells, you have got a, a man who has had someone come to visit him. Have you ever had this? Someone you know well and they come to visit and you say, oh, I have nothing in the house. I have no food to offer them. I have no drink. It's so embarrassing. Get the idea? So this... This guy goes to his neighbor, and it's late, and it's at night. Hello? Please, may I have some bread? And what does the guy say? Go away. Leave me alone. I'm in bed with my children. Uh, hello, please, I need some bread. Go away. I'm in bed with my children. But he will not give up. He keeps pounding on the door. He keeps demanding the bread. So finally, the guy gets out of bread, a bed and gives him as much bread as he needs. Okay? Now, the question is this. What is it that motivated that guy who was in bed sleeping to get out of bed finally and give his midnight caller what he asked for? What motivated him to do that? What, was, what motivated him to get out of bed? He was a little irritated, wasn't he? 
So what motivated him to get out of bed? Brian? To make him go away. To make him go away. He wanted to get some shut-eye. I'm going to make a confession. I really don't like it when you call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I have to leave my phone not on silence because I have to be available, right? And then what's really irritating is when the malfunctioning alarm system goes off and says we have a fire, which we don't, and then I'm on the list to be called. And then I'm called at 2.45 in the morning, and then I can't get back to sleep. It's very irritating. Okay, so this guy, what motivated him to get out of bed was to make the guy go away. Did you see what it says there? Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. So did friendship cause the guy to get out of bed? Oh, Charlie, absolutely. If it were the love of friendship, he'd have hopped out of bed the first time he knocked on the door. Be right down. Here, take whatever you want. So did love motivate him? Absolutely not. But the irritating persistence of his neighbor who wouldn't give up. Because, of course, his neighbor knew eventually the guy's going to give in. He's either going to give in or shoot me, but he's going to give in. You get the idea? But he is not, the guy that gets out of bed is not motivated by the love of friendship. But his midnight caller keeps banging on the door and is relentless. Now my question now is this. Is our heavenly father like the guy in bed? Leave me alone. Is that what he's like? Not at all. He's actually the opposite. So here's the point that Jesus is making, and he does this a lot in the material in Luke's gospel, and we'll be looking at some other parables in, toward the end of Didache, but Jesus' point is God the Father is not like this guy. He actually loves you. He actually wants to provide for you and give to you. But learn a lesson from the midnight caller if you're willing to badger the living daylights out of someone who doesn't particularly love you or care for you, how much more should you pray to the God who does love you? You see the contrast there? If you're willing to badger someone who doesn't love you, how much more should you cry out to the God who does? Now, there is a false interpretation of this that is sometimes given. Have you ever heard this, Amy? God will answer your prayers if you pray long enough and hard enough, but if you don't pray long enough and you don't pray hard enough and you don't have a prayer chain that has 950,000 other people praying, he's not about to listen. Have you ever heard that? Or words to that effect? That's not what this teaches. Okay? God does not hear our prayers because we pray pray tons, or we have all kinds of other people as though our prayers merit. He hears our prayers and he answers because they're based upon his promises of love to us. 
There is something to say, though. We might, like children, do our children ever ask for something that is really not good for them? They might think it's good for them, but it's not good for them. Has that ever happened? Where our children might ask for something that's really not good at all for them? Should we give it to them, Bob? No. Although sometimes we have to give them what they ask for that's not good for them to teach them that it's not good for them, if they're not going to believe it in any other way. Okay? So uh, it's good if God doesn't answer those prayers the way we want. Just like a, going back to the, to the comparison with parents and children. Our children have free access to us to ask us for anything. But we answer their prayers not by giving them whatever they always want, but by giving them what is good for them. And that teaches us something about prayer, too. It's not about bending God's will to our will, like a genie in the bottle. You know, you rub the, the bottle and the genie pops out, your wish is my command. Okay. Uh, no. Prayer is saying, Lord, I don't know what is good, but you do. You do what is good for me. That's really at the heart of prayer. Okay. So I did want to say that God answers our prayer and hears, not because of the quantity of our prayers, but because he loves us and he's made promises of love to us. Which means that we all have equal access to God through Christ. It's not like he hears me because I'm a pastor. But he doesn't hear Melissa because she's just Brian's wife. No, no. We all have equal access to God. Me being a pastor doesn't gain me closer access to God than you have as a baptized child who believes in Jesus. And if you've ever had children who maybe have not paid much attention to you, gone off and done their own thing for a while and you lament this, but if they come around and they return to you, would you receive them? Yes, you would, as if they had never left. In fact, you might receive them with even greater joy because they've returned. So it is with God in our, in our prayers. Okay. So look at what he says then to follow up on this. So just remember this. God loves us and he desires to hear our prayers and he desires to give us what he himself has promised us. You think about the Lord's Prayer that way. We, we confess our sins, forgive us our trespasses. Sorry, not going to. Give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> that chance. No, he actually does want to do this. Break and hinder every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and my sinful flesh. No way. Not going to do that. No. The petitions of the Lord's Prayer express his will. And so prayer is the voice of faith claims those promises. And the answer is always yes to those. So verse 9, he says, I say to you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek. You will find. Knock. It will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. You see that verse 9 and 10, there's no qualification. 
When you ask in faith, believing in the promises of God's word, you will receive, you will find, it will be open to you. So if you ask that God's name be hallowed in your life through the teaching of God's word, he will do it. If you ask that his kingdom would come, that he give you the gift of the Holy Spirit and strengthen your faith and reliance upon Christ, he will do it. That's what he promises. Okay? If you pray for deliverance from temptation, he will do it because that's what he promises. Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now he goes on to say this. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Are stones good to eat? No. The father's going to give him bread. Because bread is good. Or if he asks for a fish, that would be good to ask for. Will he give him a serpent, poisonous snake? No. What kind of a father is that? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? A picture was sent to me from my friend Patrick in Ghana of this scorpion that was humongous that he had to decapitate with a machete. I saw scorpions over there that were little tiny ones. This one. <laughs> Whew. Deliver me from this scorpion. So if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see the point here? God is not like the guy in bed that doesn't want to get out of bed. He's eager to answer and hear our prayers on the basis of his promises to us. Absolutely eager. If we, being evil and sinful, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father not only not give good gifts to us, but give the Holy Spirit? That Jesus uses that at the end. The gift of the Holy Spirit is always for faith, for reliance, for trust upon our Lord, for dependence upon him. Okay? So that goes back to, you know, the purpose of didache is this learning is that we learn to trust in our, in our Lord and to call upon him in every time of need, confidently, for his forgiveness, life, and salvation. Okay? Questions? Amy? You don't have... I, it's no sin to ask me a question. I haven't heard the question. <laughs> All right. If God will only give good gifts to his children. Yep. And he's trying to give us his care, the only Father. Yep. And nutrition and famine. Famine countries are dying because they don't have enough to eat. Is he not hearing them? I'm struggling now. <laughs> but I'm struggling a little bit and I, and I hurt my head. Okay. Um, 
we will go over the petitions um, one by one in, in great detail. But daily bread, while the catechism correctly says, it includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body. And then Luther spells out all of these things, you know, food, drink, clothing, shoes, and so forth. The explanation before that he says, we pray, or God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this, that he's the giver, and to receive our daily bread, whatever that is, with thanksgiving. Now here's where the twist comes in, so to speak. What we're actually praying for when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, is the faith to trust God that what he permits to come into our lives is good. Okay? And even if it means suffering, sickness, hardship, adversity, or famine, pestilence, okay? So we've been going through <clears throat> what in biblical terms could be called a pestilence, except for the fact that the numbers of people dying from COVID are, don't even begin to scratch the surface of some of these really big time, like the Black Plague or something like that, where you had you know, majorities of, of populations wiped out. <clears throat> but God uses these things. Uh, to, to wake us up, to draw us closer to him. We're praying that, we, that he would lead us to realize he's the giver of these things. I saw a cartoon that was brought to me about a month ago. One of the tellers had it in there. And it was a cartoon talking about, you know, disease, COVID, inflation, um, uh, riots on the, on the streets, uh, uh, unrest in the cities. Could it be, then the voice, one of these, you know, out of the house, could it be we have forgotten God? And the other voice comes out, who? Okay. In the Bible, all of those things, famine, pestilence, and everything, were part of the curse of the fall to call us to repentance. Because there's some things we need more than food for the belly. Okay, so... To trust God, whatever he allows to come into our lives, is not only good, but it is the context in which he wants us to learn to trust in Christ and to depend upon Christ. This is what causes Paul to say, I have learned how to, be, to have plenty and to have nothing. I have learned how to suffer and how to rejoice. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's ultimately what we're then praying for. And to lead us to realize this, let's say one other thing about daily bread. He goes, what is meant by daily bread? Then he says, everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body. Now, then that's everything, right? But then he goes on to spell it out. Such as food, drink, clothing, shoes. A devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good friends, good reputation, faithful neighbors, and the like. 
and the like means there's even more. But when he delineates all of this stuff in there, how many of those things do we think of as being a part of daily bread? Rarely do we. So we're missing, so often, we're missing one thing. We don't have the one thing that we think we need, and we totally are oblivious to the superabundant blessings around us. So part of what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer is to, to learn to realize that he's the giver and to receive all of this with thanksgiving. So you look at, you have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight direct substantive blessings of daily bread in this room right now. Your husband, your children, your son-in-law, holy cow, okay? And that's only part of it. Then you got the clothing that you're all wearing, okay? That's all part of daily bread. To learn to receive those things with thanksgiving means to receive them in faith. See? So part of what we need to be asking for and understanding in the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, is to open our eyes to see all of these blessings. Okay? And then to, re pardon me, yeah, and, to, and, and then to rely upon him. But what God ordains is always good. Okay, good. Other questions? So this is the holy life of reliance upon God. The prayer is the voice of that reliance. And then it also asks for that reliance. Okay? Like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he does. Okay? Other, I'm sorry, I'm favor, favoring the goats. You should come over here by the sheep. Other, other questions? Okay, before we um, have the communion liturgy for the sacrament then, um, next week I am traveling to Fort Wayne, the seminary there. I have to leave on Monday uh, because I'm part of a doctoral ministry uh, examination and I'll be back Friday. So we will not have class next week. And I hate to make this short notice, the week after next, I'm going to have a Monday night class and a Thursday night to keep us on target so we, weather permitting, we're able to be uh, through with our didache lessons before Easter comes. That's my goal. So no class next week, but then the week after that, Monday and Thursday. Okay? And... The Monday class, another favorite, it's, the, it's on prayer. The Canaanite woman, or the Syrophoenician woman, who cries out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And at first he answers her not a word. And then the disciples say, send her away. She cries out after us. And she won't let go of him. Kind of like the friend at midnight that continues to... Bang on that. So we'll be looking at that story and then going through a chunk of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer uh, one by one. Okay. We prepare for the sacrament.
Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble and hearty thanks for all the goodness and loving kindness that you bestow on us. We praise you for our creation, preservation, and all of the blessings of this life. But above all, we bless you for your boundless love in the redemption of the world by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the preaching of the gospel and the holy sacraments, and for the blessed hope of glory. We implore you to give us a right understanding of all your mercies, that our hearts may ever be deeply thankful, and that we may show forth your praise with both our lips and our lives. Direct our lives in ways of holiness and righteousness all our days, that we may enjoy the testimony of a good conscience and the hope of your favor, be sustained and comforted in every trouble, and finally be received into your everlasting kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and grace. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For at his baptism, your voice from heaven revealed him as your beloved son, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, confirming him to be the Christ. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. 
Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment you condemned the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy... You promised salvation by a second Adam, your son Jesus Christ our Lord, and made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life and salvation, that come to us in his body and blood. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. Amen.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank and praise you for feeding us the life-giving body and blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Send us your Holy Spirit, that having with our mouths received the Holy Sacrament, we may by faith obtain and eternally enjoy your divine grace, the forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, and life eternal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.